Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 136 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I sincerely apologize for the radio silence since episode 135. However, it has been the 4th of July here in Lander, Wyoming, which is possibly the biggest holiday of the year. I don't even know why I said possibly. It is definitely the biggest holiday of the year. Uh, followed immediately by a wedding, followed immediately by the International Climbers Festival, which I was the MC for and did a speed coaching event, much like speed dating, uh, which was really, really fun with a host of amazing coaches from all over the country, all over the world, actually. Volker Shuffle was in town. Um, so it's been a little bit busy around here. You're just going to have to cut me some slack. You really don't have a choice. However, I am back and will be bombarding you with new episodes, starting with continuing to put out the Oz tapes. We got started with Anna Davey. Um, now we're following it up with Will Hammerslay, who, by the way, has the best name, one of the best names in climbing history. So good job, Will's parents. I don't know you, but good job. We've also got some new programs on the way that I'm excited to get out there, and you will be hearing more about that later for sure. There's some advice that's been given to climbers since the beginning of time that we over here at Power Company Climbing are not happy with. It's bad advice, plain and simple. I've probably given it, but it's still bad advice, and we're going to do something about that. You'll hear more later. Today's episode was recorded live at Northwalls Indoor Climbing in Melbourne, Australia. And the team at Northwalls, specifically Nick, Joanne, and Leo, were amazing. And the community vibe at the gym absolutely blew me away. Small, really tight-knit community at the gym and just absolutely a joy to work with. Um, so thanks to the whole crew over there. And if you happen to be in the Melbourne area, you should go check that gym out for sure. It's in a really cool location, really cool part of town, and really amazing people. Uh, but because this was recorded live and we signed off in the usual style, I won't be rejoining you at the end of this episode. Instead, I'll give you some thoughts now based on today's guest, Will Hammersley. First off, Coaching is hard, and there's not a really clear path into becoming a climbing coach. Climbing is really, really complex. I don't have to tell all of you that, but I'm going to tell you that, and you'll hear it from me again. So being a climbing coach is extra complex. You have to be able to communicate to people in a different way than when you're just a climber. Um, 
when you're a coach, you have to give them these philosophies, give climbers these ideas, these bigger global ideas to improve their climbing, especially as a competition coach, because those climbers are going to go out there on their own and they're going to have to figure it out without you while they're out there on the mats. So it's really, really difficult. And Will is a young coach. Uh, I believe he was 27 or 28 when we recorded this. Sorry, Will, if I'm making you out to be older than you actually are. Um, But he comes across as incredibly wise and thoughtful. And I didn't know Will prior to this interview um, and didn't know much about him. And he had recently been named Australia's national coach. And after reading a few interviews, um, it, it occurred to me that his ideas were on this much larger, much more global scale than just a coach in a gym. And I really wanted to dig into how that's going to work in a a place, a landscape like Australia, where there's not a lot of support for climbing yet, um, maybe even less than most of the countries that are listening to this podcast. And and it's a very spread out country. So, So I really wanted to know Will's thoughts on how that's all going to gel together. And I was pretty floored by the amount of obvious thought and awareness that Will brought to this position. And I think that really showed up in this year's Bouldering World Cups with with young Australian climber Oceana McKenzie making finals in Japan and topping a boulder that Shauna Coxie and Akio Noguchi did not top. And I was in Australia when this happened and I overheard someone at a gym say that watching Oceana and the World Cups makes them proud to be Australian. And and ultimately, I think that's the, the biggest goal possible for a national coach like Will. So let's get into it. When someone takes the time to try and be as good as they can at something, you can definitely learn something from them and then implement that idea into what it is that you do. Okay, first off, thanks everybody for coming out here to North Walls Indoor Climbing. I appreciate y'all coming out to sit and listen to this chat. Um, And thank you to North Walls for being such an amazing host. This has been a really, really cool weekend, and and you guys have treated us amazingly. I feel like I'm royalty here, so I appreciate that so much. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to wish everyone treated me like this, and it's not going to work that way. Um... I've got free stickers over here if anybody wants one. I've also got t-shirts for sale that are our OzTour 2019 t-shirts. They're $30. Ten of that tonight, if you buy one tonight, goes to Will's fundraising efforts for the Australian national team. So we've got a bunch of these t-shirts. Please pick one up and help them out. Um, you've also got baked goods. I do. I have sale. some tasty baked goods just on the table over there. Yeah, they will help you not get as drunk when you're here drinking beer. So, 
And what's the name of the brewery that's opening up that's here tonight? Alchemy Breweries, a new brewery coming into this area. Um, and they've got beers here for free for everybody. So we appreciate them coming out as well. It's going to be a good night. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So does everybody here pretty much know who Will is? Okay, so some of us do, some of us don't. Um, Will, tell us a little bit about kind of your, let's do the brief background. You and I talked quite a bit, and we, like we always do, like I always do, we got in deep about the topic we're going to be talking about tonight, which is a total no-no when you're a podcaster, (laughs) Um, but I can't help myself. Yeah. Um, So tell these people just a little bit about your brief background, how you got the, the quick story about how you got into climbing and how that led to coaching. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, I was born in the U.S., uh, emigrated from the U.S. to uh, England, and then got involved in climbing a little bit in England when I was in primary school, uh, and then moved to Australia, dabbled in climbing through my first degree. And then when I finished my first degree, decided to become a rock climbing instructor, uh, which my parents were really happy about <laughs> and uh, did a lot of route setting and then through the route setting got involved in coaching and uh, yeah, I've been a route setter and a coach pretty much ever since. So, And then just recently you got the opportunity to be the Australian national team coach. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, well, I've been the, the national team coach for five years oh, now. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I've, uh, I was announced as the Boulder only coach at the start of last year. Um, and as we kind of move towards the Olympics, uh, we've been diversifying our team so that we've got uh, single discipline coaches as well as coaching managers and a high performance coach. So I've been doing that for five years, started off just me. So I was by myself with yeah. 20 kids in Arco. That was an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, progressively increase the team. Uh, now there's, I think five, five of us. Okay, cool. Five coaches. Five coaches. Awesome. So you've got this bake sale going on that kind of supports the travel of the coaches, of the team. Um, That seems, you know, if we look at other big sports, we don't see the, you know, Australian Football League doing bake sales to support (laughs) travel. So why why do we have to do a bake sale to support the travel of this team? Yeah, so I mean... Climbing is is a very new sport. We were only recognized as a official sport in Australia when we got accepted into the Olympics, so just before then. All right, and so it's still really new. Very, very new, yeah. yeah. So the last kind of two years. Um, so a lot of it has been self-funded. It's self-funded for all the athletes. Um, we have a, uh, a small grant from the government that helps get our, some of our coaches to some of the events internationally, but for the most part, our athletes are over there doing it by themselves. So yeah, the bake sales try and uh, generate some funds so I can go support our athletes at, at all of the events. I'm doing basically the entire month for world championships. We've got world championships in Japan, followed by uh, world youth championships in Arco, Italy. And um, yeah, it's like, it's no pay. It's all volunteer based. So it's time off work and you know? So you have to sell a lot of chocolate bliss s- balls. Yeah, that's right. In order that's right. to pay for that kind yeah, of travel. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> Heaps. Lots and lots of bliss balls. Yeah. So so bl- buy the bliss balls, yeah. everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in the uh, something that I really wanted to talk to you about was I read in an interview 
um, you were talking about trying to to support the coaching around the country in order to sort of help support your mission as the national team coach. Um, why reach out in that big web like that? Why is why can you not just focus on what you're doing? What's the importance there? Yeah, look, I I guess because Australia is so big, right? Like we have such a big country here with people spread so far apart. I think it's cheaper to go from Perth to overseas than it is to go from Perth to Melbourne, right? Right. right. Um, so everyone is is spread so far apart that we really need our state level and our regional level coaches to stand up and support our athletes. And the difficulty with that, of course, is that we need state and regional coaches and we need to support those state and regional coaches so that they know they're doing a good job and that the facilities that support them know that they're doing the right thing by the athletes. Sure. Um, because it's just not feasible for us. I mean, we're, I'm selling baked goods to travel to get internationally. So to, just to travel nationally is virtually impossible if we're on such a tight budget. Yeah. So coming up with a strategy on how to support our regional coaches, I think is fundamental to improving the level of athletes we see coming out of Australia. And coming up with a strategy on how to do that is not super easy. Um, yeah, totally. And just, yeah. just for people who, who aren't Australian, who don't quite understand how it's laid out here, just driving from a couple of major, from a major city to a major city is a full day's drive or more um, because it's so spread out. There's yeah. lots of just, you know, open country in between or tiny little towns. Yeah. Um, so it's not set up like the U.S. or Japan or somewhere that has lots of climbers who could connect all the way across the country. Yeah, you know, that's right. That, yeah. that you can just drive an hour and you're, you're in a whole different environment of climbers with a bunch of other coaches. And so you don't have all that interconnectedness here. Yeah, right. I mean, Melbourne to Sydney, I think, is uh, 10 hours driving. Yeah. And there's not a lot between us and them yeah i got i got a little nervous we weren't gonna have a a place to fuel up on the drive yeah. you know it's, yeah. it's gotta so pick your fuels. yeah yeah, yeah it sure. felt like wyoming instead of like the united states as a whole mm. you know yeah absolutely there's where the population is really spread out uh, population of climbers is definitely growing um but that network just isn't really quite there yet and it's a matter of that because climbing is so new um, it's a matter of coming up with not only with a network that works really well, but also like a philosophy that everybody agrees on is, a, yeah. is the right philosophy to teach people how to coach climbing, which in itself is, I mean, you know, very difficult. Right? Yeah. Well, like, like you said, your beginnings were, you know, I was a climber. I was, I sat at my local gym. I got a degree, but then I decided to be a climbing instructor, yeah. you know, and I think that's the path a lot of people take. We, we love climbing and, and there aren't that many jobs in the climbing industry. Um, so oftentimes we end up becoming an instructor, becoming a coach. And then you've got someone coaching the youth team who has no experience coaching at all. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Totally. Yeah. It's just a fact of, you know, our sport and what we do. So teaching them the right philosophy is hugely important. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those things about being involved in the climbing community. Like we all love it. Like 
Yeah. I think passion is what drives so many of us, which is not something we want to take out of it. I don't want it to be really clinical, but at the same time, we definitely have a vision that we see Australian athletes um, being some of the best in the world and, and coming up with a strategy on how to make sure that there's like a singular message being delivered to all of our athletes around the nation is not easy. It's very, very difficult. Um, you know, we have uh, exceptionally good swimming performance in Australia um, and they still have a difficult time having a singular message because most of their athletes um, are based in Queensland, but their head office is based in Victoria. So, you know, it's not, it's not an issue that just we face in the climbing community. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that if we can figure out how to do that, then we'll be laughing. <laughs> do you have do you have access to other coaches, other sports who've who've dealt with this sort of thing and have formed these networks that you can sort of piggyback off of? Um, yes and no. I mean, we do a lot of uh, currently now we're working a lot with the Australian Institute of Sports, so the AIS, um, and they have a lot of connections, obviously, with sports that are up and coming. Martial arts has experienced a similar thing to what we have. Sure. It's very um, facility based, right? So. Uh, judo and taekwondo experience a similar pressure on athletes being from a facility and so the coaching style of that f facility being very prevalent and very important and so the national right, structure right. then it becomes very difficult in sports like that which i think is very similar to what we see in climbing hmm. um but yeah i mean i'm lucky enough to be undertaking another master's degree <laughs> oh, uh, but in high performance, you're not, you're not busy enough. I'm not busy enough. No, I've, you know, I just wanted to add another thing in there. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, doing a high performance sport, uh, degree, and that's given me a lot of access to, um, a lot of people that are involved in a lot of different sports. Right. Um, so seeing the challenges they face and how they've overcome those challenges has been really interesting. Mm -hmm. And also how little we know about climbing has been <laughs> fascinating yeah. yep. just in, from a scientific perspective sure. anyway you know yeah so. that's a brand new field that's just starting to yeah. blossom yeah, even yeah. a little bit yeah absolutely so so we don't have to name names here <laughs> but have you had pushback from any of the coaches in these towns around Australia because like you said it is very there's a pride around this is how I coach you know the martial art field experience that and and it's definitely that way uh with climbers so yeah. have you had any pushback and if so how'd you deal with that um i mean i think it's we're in a we're in a difficult position at the moment because our federation uh is asked to do a lot uh with with nothing right when i say i could say not very much but the you've the got big sales is, we've got big sales yeah yeah, yeah totally <laughs> Um, but I mean, for the most part, the resources we have access to is pretty limited. So our federation is spread pretty thin, which definitely makes communication very difficult. So we have a lot of hurdles there that we've got to try and figure out how to overcome. Um, and I think a lot of the pushback comes from sort of that space rather than necessarily like the coaching space. I, I, we talked very briefly before about climbers in general, being this community of people that support and love each other so much. Yeah. Um, being in the Olympic arena, a lot of the officials, their comments were around how supportive we are of each other, which is so unlike any other sport they encounter. So having, having that kind of community, I think really um, 
helps everybody want to push in the same direction. So I think we've been really lucky in terms of um, how we've gone about starting to come up with a framework of how to support and educate our coaches nationally and haven't encountered that much pushback yet. That being said, it is definitely in its infancy here. Um, we only recently had a meeting where we discussed the framework and it's going to go to sort of community discussion next. Um, and there's the potential to see a little bit of pushback from that. But, you know, I, I, I believe that it's going to be a really good thing for coaches. And I think for the most part, it's actually going to be quite welcomed. I think a lot of people are out there hoping they're doing the right thing, especially because so much of our coaching at the moment has to do with young people. You right. know, and nobody wants to hurt a kid, right? Like, so, right, right. Uh, so everyone's hoping they're doing the right thing and supporting the kids in the best way they can. And so I think any support and any information is going to be really uh, well received, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I hope you're, you're completely right. Um, it's definitely the way that climbing has sort of progressed over time and this, this place where it's at. It's been just in the last couple of years, just catapulted into to new stratospheres, you know. Yeah. And it's really easy for climbing coaches to sort of fall into this imposter syndrome of, you know, am I doing the right thing? Do I know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm not an Olympic coach. How am I in this position? Yeah. Um, are you finding that any of the coaches you've talked to to this point need emotional support that way of understanding that you're doing the right things and, and this is going to work? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I think we all fall victim to it. Like, I've been standing there. I, st I remember standing there at the Youth Olympics um, after traveling with the team to Buenos Aires and just being like, oh, my God. God, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, oh, it's like a lot of the coaches are like, yeah, it's my like fourth Olympics. I'm just like, ah, right. Oh my. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it was, I mean, it was good because once I stepped foot into the IFSC arena, right, which is where the wall was, right. it was all, it all felt very much at home, which was yeah. really good. And again, stepping into that space, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm with my people. Like, you know, everyone was super supportive. It was our first time there, really. And, um, you know, that was really exciting. But, but yeah, I think around, like, I know that there's a lot of coaches I've had interactions with um, at state titles and other nationals where they're just trying to keep the wheels on for a lot of the young athletes they deal with and just trying to make sure that it's a positive experience for the young athletes they deal with. And, and being like, look, just the fact that you guys are here is such a huge step and such a huge support for these young people that they're never going to forget that. And that's, that's really in itself yeah. so important. And so, yeah, I, I think that I think sometimes people get confused with like, oh, you don't have accreditation or you don't have this, this certificate or something that means that you're not a good coach, which I don't think is true. I think that we have some amazing coaches that have just learned so much through experience right. and have really learned so much through just being so in love with the sport um, that they're doing a really great job and need that, need that support, need that opportunity to, to communicate with somebody who may have those certifications and just be like, oh yeah, I am on the right page. Yes, I am doing the right things. This is all making sense to me. So yeah, I think that... Um, we all experience that imposter syndrome for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's hard to avoid. And um, Nick and I were talking earlier about the imposter syndrome. And I firmly believe that if you 
if you aren't experiencing imposter syndrome, if you don't feel like you've got a lot to learn and why am I here, and you think that you've got it all figured out, then you're probably being left behind. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. And, and you need to be a little more, exercise a little more humility and realize yeah. that you haven't gotten it all figured out. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that's the, like, we talked briefly earlier about this too, the idea of the growth mindset, right? Yeah. You know, and that's something that I, I definitely like to think about for coaches and athletes and everybody where, you know, if you're in a position, you're like, yeah, I've got this. I know everything, then you don't have the opportunity to grow. You don't have the opportunity to, to change. Right, right. And that's where you're really going to become a better person, a better climber, a better athlete, a better coach is when you're in a position where you're like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Like, <clears throat> do I know what I'm doing? Uh, should I really be here? <laughs> you know? Right. So, and that's usually that opportunity where you're like, yes, I'm here because I want to learn, because I want to listen and pay attention. And, you know, I, my experience in the Olympics, like I said, was that I, I definitely kind of stood there with the rest of these Olympic coaches and was like, oh my gosh. But when you stop and you're like, okay, this is a great opportunity to talk to some of these coaches about what they experience. And some of the, some of the words of wisdom that they had was like, was, was really, really good. And I think that if I'd gone in there being like, I'm the rock climbing coach, I know what I'm doing with my sport. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to hear what they had to say. Yeah. Been too kind of self-obsessed about what I thought I knew. Um, but yeah, I mean, even the track and field, I had a, an amazing conversation with one of the track and field coaches just about um, sprinters, which you think has nothing to do with your sport. But then when you hear them talk about how they train and how a lot of their training now has been more and more focused on specificity, you're like, oh, I think I can use that. That's, you know, yeah. that's an important thing to take on board and think about. Yeah. And they've had so much money behind them for so many years that they they must be ahead of us in a lot of ways. So yeah. why not pick those little things up? You know, yeah, absolutely. And I have conversations with, I've had conversations with hundreds of people at this point, and a, a prevalent theme across these conversations is that people say to me, "I don't know what I have to offer." You know, I don't know if I have anything to teach, and and more often than not i learn so much from those people who don't yeah. think they have a lot to teach you know um it's the people who think i should be on your podcast because i've got so much to tell you yeah. that i don't learn anything from <laughs> yeah yeah you totally. know so i think being humble exercising hum some humility and and just accepting the imposter syndrome as mm. a necessary part of growth yeah is really important yeah absolutely i totally agree yeah. So you've got all these youth athletes who this is a new thing for, but they're still really, really impressionable. They'll mold into this really easily. Mm. And this will just become a, a fact of their climbing careers. Yeah. How does it look different for the open athletes who've, who've come up through this system of climbing that isn't nearly so organized? And what are the big changes for them? And how do you address that? That is a really good question. And that's, um, that's definitely something we've been battling with for the last few years as our top athletes kind of start to approach what looks like the, you know, kind of the ends of their career and how we can keep them engaged and how we can keep them involved in our sport. Because I think that they have so much to offer our young athletes, um, but also how we continue to support our, support our Opens because a lot of the focus has been on our youth team for so many right. years. 
And it's difficult because I think whilst at the moment our sport is, is amateur for the most part, particularly in Australia, our athletes aren't being paid to do what they do. So they've got to fit their training and their travel around work, which doesn't really give you the best opportunity to perform. Right? right. With the youth athletes, they've got parents to help out, you know, grandparents to help out yeah. and they don't have the strict schedule. Yeah. A lot of the open athletes have jobs or have school schedules that they have to stick to in order to get their degree so they yeah. can become a climbing instructor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's quite a bit tougher. Yeah, absolutely. So, so from my point of view, it's been a lot of communication, trying to understand what they want, um, which for the most part is money, <laughs> which, sure. which, which we don't have. <laughs> so it's bake like, sales. okay, bake, bake sales, sales, right, right. I'll bake for you and then, yeah, we'll raise some money. <laughs> but I mean, I think for them, in all seriousness, the, the thing that we've landed on is for the most part is exposure. Mm. And Australia is so isolated that giving our athletes any type of exposure to what it's like when they hit that international stage, I think is probably the most useful thing we can do for them. So we work really hard at the moment to put together competition simulations in spaces that mimic as closely as we can the international um, scene. The difficulty, of course, is that because Australia is just starting to grow, finding venues that can mimic that international scene, finding holds that can uh, mimic that international scene and finding root setters that are capable of mimicking that international scene is very, right. very difficult. Right. So it's kind of this chicken egg scenario. And again, that's really expensive. Yeah. It's prohibitively expensive to get that style of hold shipped over here Yeah, to get the root setters like Tonde yeah. or Jackie Gaddafi to come over here yeah you know that stuff costs a lot of money yeah absolutely and and not and like on top of that it's the the time out of the facility getting facilities to agree to be like yeah sure we're closed for three days no problem and like we'll not charge your athletes any money to do right. this right. yeah it's like that's not easy finding a facility that's willing to do that is exceptionally difficult yeah um or even has a space to only partially close or any of these things right so Coming up with a strategy on how to create these events to support our athletes kind of has been the biggest um, event over the last couple of years, like trying to make these things happen. And slowly they're happening more and more. And I think that what we're seeing from our athletes, at least in the bouldering space, has been really, really good. We've had really positive results. Every year we tend to improve. Our, our best results are in the bouldering area. We struggle a little bit with lead, but I think that that's due to our resources that we have available to us. And I think that that kind of shows in terms of that tactic that we've been, we've been taking. Um, but yeah, I mean, apart from that, it's like kind of finding sponsorship for them so that they can take the time off to really train hard and get to these places and do these things is, is that next thing. And it's, it's very, very difficult at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been any talk around, you know, helping teach these, athletes how to approach sponsors how to how to get sponsorship or how to make money from the platform that they have yeah i, I think there there has or there's beginning to be but the difficulty at the moment is that um just to add another thing on yeah plate, exactly right, exactly yeah. that's you know kind of where i was going right it's just having the personnel that are available to make these things happen is difficult right so yeah i mean 
And I, you should just talk Anna Davy into having a, a seminar on how yeah, to yeah. create a social media following. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that'd be great. Sure. Mm. Yeah, maybe you can chat to her when you're over. I'm, I'm chatting with her when I'm in Perth, yeah, so perfect. I'll talk to her about it. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's true. I think it's like finding out the resources that our our athletes need, and then how to how to give them to them is is yeah really difficult at the moment. And and I think from my point of view, the best thing I can offer them is that event experience so being a root setter and being quite friendly with a lot of the facilities that's that biggest tool that i have yeah um i'm terrible with sponsors so i'm definitely not the person to talk to about that that's why i've got a bake sale going on <laughs> um you know so um but uh yeah you know i think it's um i think that the next step hopefully will be to come up with some sort of national center right like what we see in fontainebleau Mm -hmm. um they've had a lot of success with that sort of space and yeah, i think and the u.s just opened their national training center yeah and i so. you know i think that that's probably the next step that's that evolution from where we are now especially with the country being so big we really need to collect the athletes because not only will having them in one place make coaching them easier but also having them in one place they'll compete and they'll train with each other and that will really start to push uh, yeah. our standard much higher so I think that's kind of the evolution of where we're slowly moving, but that's, I mean, six years, seven years down the track. So, yeah, yeah that's, you know, that's something really important because in the U S when we have you know, a big regional or divisional championship, there are athletes coming from lots of cities to compete in this one place. So everyone gets to know each other all the way through the youth circuit. And when they become open competitors, then they've known each other already for a decade or more. Yeah. You know, and here your state championships generally include, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the idea that I'm getting is that it'll include one major city. Yeah. And that's, you know, what the whole state comes together. So those, those people know each other, but then they don't know the other people very well in the other states. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like I think, What's interesting about Australia is that um, the scale is a little bit smaller than what's happening in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Victorian state lead titles here, I think, in uh, maybe late Feb. And, Do people um, from other states come in yeah, for those? Yeah, exactly, okay. right. So, cool. so we have, I mean, a little bit for our youth categories, but mostly for our open categories. Like we'll have a, um, an open state competition that mimics our nationals. Right, so our top athletes are really traveling to try and get that experience to all of the states. So our our level of competition is is much smaller. Like we just don't have the population. Um, the numbers in our competitions are a little bit smaller. Like there's no real need to have. I think you in America, it's like kind of regionals and divisionals and then yeah. nationals, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. We have we have states and then uh, nationals. So and that's I mean qualifying from states to go to nationals. Um, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's not sure. particularly hard. Um, and so the, the number of top athletes we have is a significantly smaller. So that competition um, isn't as prevalent, which also means that there's not as much necessity for facilities to set really, really hard because we haven't got the number of top athletes that are requiring sure, those routes. Sure, yeah. So it's kind of this like whole kind of snowballing issue that we have. 
that being said, like our top athletes, like we had a top athlete, I think, um, his best result was fourth at, uh, in the, I think it was Canada. I'm definitely going to get this wrong and everyone's going to hear about it anyway. <laughs> um, but a, a lot of athletes, like we've got one athlete now that's currently training in Japan. She made semifinals in her first, um, bouldering world, world cup. Um, awesome. you know, so we're, we've got the performance, like the performance is really getting there. Our, our athletes are definitely starting to reach that standard, but we don't have as many. Sure. And so the, the resources then are quite spread. Yep. So yeah, it definitely makes it tricky. Well, you said something else really important a minute ago, and we were talking about social media and sponsorships that that's not really your lane. Yeah. And, and I think it's radically important for a coach to understand what their lane is yeah, and not, not spend too much time, if any time outside of those boundaries, mm. as well as to, to talk with and communicate with people who do live inside those lanes. Yeah. You know, are there, are there other coaches? You said you've got five people now. Are you splitting up those duties um or are they just there to help you out with the things you're doing are you bringing in people who specialize in other things yeah i mean i think it's it's interesting because this is our second year working together so um it's our f we're slowly starting to understand how each other work and yeah. that in itself is it takes a bit of time sure um, and we do have some, we do have one of the coaches, I think uh, does have the ability to work on some sponsorship, uh, for the team, which I think is exciting. Um, but I think our biggest issue at the moment is coming up with, uh, basically a hierarchy of requirements and things that we need to, to organize, um, and dealing with those first and sponsorship, unfortunately, kind of, I wouldn't say is, is super up there sure, at the moment. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that as a, as a coach, it's important to understand where your strengths lie as well and, and where you're going to be able to most effectively assist your athletes. Um, and then also be willing to seek out the help that you require for, for other things. Um, and we're slowly getting better at that. I think that because the climbing community has been so insular for so long that we've had to do so many things ourselves. Exactly. Um, there was a time not long ago where the climbing coach was also the strength coach was also the physio was also all these things. Yeah. And, and I think thankfully those days are, are ending. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, it's definitely a trap I fall into still like I'm a root setter, but I'm also the national coach. So right. I'm setting for youth nationals, but I'm also the national coach, which, you know, can be difficult. Um, and I'm so unwilling to let go of e either one. <laughs> um, I know the struggle. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. And you know, we, we would have competitions, I think maybe even three, three, four years ago here where, um, the, one of the directors, he was the head root setter. I was one of the root setters. We organized the event. We found the sponsors. We did all of the registrations. We right. did everything right? right. Like, you know, so, um, coming to a point where you're willing to let go of certain duties as well is, is difficult. Um, and hopefully we'll start to see, start to see that delegation happen a bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you work so hard for some of these things that can be difficult to let go. 
Yeah. Well, I had some of the brownies, so don't let go of that. Okay, okay. <laughs> if, still, if you made the brownies, don't I let did, go of those. I did. I did. You enjoyed good, those. Yeah, good. good. Job. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> How has being a root setter informed your, your coaching? So I know you've worked with some high-level root setters. Yeah. Um, who do set for these big national events and, and big worldwide events. Yeah. And how's that informed things for you? Look, I think, uh, to be honest, for me, it's almost been everything. Um, so much of what I do is try and help our athletes get inside the head of root setters and provide them with insights and experiences that will help them learn themselves what they need to do and, and achieve because... In my experience, and, and this isn't going to be everybody's experience, and I don't expect everyone to think the same way, but from what I've seen, a lot of our athletes, it can be very difficult to be like, okay, this is how you tow hook. This is when you tow hook. So now you know how to tow hook, and right. you will then perform tow hooks perfectly <laughs> from now on, right? It's yeah. more about it's like setting particular problems for them where they have to self-analyze and experience what that feels like and what the visual cues are and what the physical cues are mm. so that they can unlock that beta themselves is when they really, that light bulb really switches on. So I think that so much of my coaching has been, has really been founded in, in my root setting. Um, and I feel very lucky that I've had the opportunity to, to grow my root setting so much because I think that that's really helped me with my high level coaching and dealing with people like Tonde. Um, and getting inside the head of international root setters and realizing that the inside of their head is very similar to mine yeah. is, is good. Yep. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's just been amazing, I think. And it's also one of those things about our sport that I love so much that we have this kind of second person in the room, right? Most of our sports, it's like athlete v athlete. And all of a sudden we've got this other person that sits there called the root setter that has such an impact on what happens yeah. that, um, yeah, I, you know, I love it. I think it's amazing. And it's, yeah, that's, you talked earlier about, you know, getting, taking lessons from track and field or mm. other coaches that you've talked to. Is there a place that we can take inspiration in another sport that has a playing field that changes? Mm. It's, it's not something I can off the top of my head come up with. You know. Yeah, I had a I had an interesting chat to somebody about this um, downhill mountain biking. Apparently, mm, apparently, okay. down, yeah, yeah, downhill mountain biking. Yeah, people create the courses, and then the people they they race them. Right. the The difference, the big difference, of course, is that creativity. I think is significantly more limited because you get so many practice runs. Right. Right. At, at that, but there's still that element of creativity of how do I take this corner? How do I what part do I accelerate on? What part do I decelerate on? That's, that can be very, um, individual. So I think that there's, yeah, you know, I think that that's probably one sport that is, that we could maybe take something from. Yeah. Um, but I also have the opinion that we have the ability if you, if you're open enough to take something from every sport, from every time you interact with somebody who's a professional in their field. And I'm sure this is probably why you love podcasting so much, right? is that when someone takes the time to try and be as good as they can at something, you can definitely learn something from them and then right. implement that idea into what it is that you do. Yeah. Because 
they've learned something along the way that has taught them something about themselves and about the craft that they're endeavoring to be better at every time they do it that you can then take and use in your craft and the things that you're doing. Um, yeah, and so I think that when I talked to the track and field coach, he was like, oh, you know, we looked at people that hit under 10 seconds with running and the vast majority of them just ran. They just focused on running fast, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, well, it's sprinting. It's not like climbing. But when you think about it, we think about, I think about a lot of the climbers, the top level climbers that I deal with on a daily basis. What, like, what do they spend most of their time doing? Climbing really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if you want to climb really hard, well, I have to climb really hard. <laughs> yeah. There's only one yeah. way to climb really hard. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of times we can get, uh, as climbers get bogged down in like these little individual aspects of our climbing and then forget what it is that we're trying to do, which is climb really hard. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can learn something from everybody that's, you know, particularly in sport anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, you've talked several times about expression and expressing yourself and, and I'm a huge believer that climbing is an expressive sport. Mm. Um, today I did a workshop here at North walls and, and I use a video of a dancer who's learning to dance, um, practicing every day for 365 days. And you can see her expression come out as she practices a little more. And in climbing, we tend to have a tough time expressing. Mm. Um, but I think it's a really valuable part of becoming a better climber. And you've talked about it with root setting. You've talked about it with climbing for your athletes. How do you approach, and this may be a question that's damn near impossible to answer, Yeah. but how do you approach teaching young climbers how to express themselves? Yeah, that's, that is a difficult question to answer. I, I'm asking it selfishly so yeah. I can steal it and use it Okay, myself. good, okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> well, I won't tell you everything that, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> look, I think that yeah. one of the things, um, one of the things that I talk about that we've focused on a lot recently actually is uh, forerunning, right? So mm-hmm. when you go to a lead comp, you get forerunning videos. The idea as an athlete is to watch the forerunning videos, learn how they climb that climb, and then memorize it and perform it. Yep. And as our athletes are practicing this skill and learning this skill, it's all about memorization and then doing exactly what they saw. As they become better at that, they can then improvise. They can feel how they feel on the wall and make adjustments as they go. But you have to have somewhere, something to improvise off of. Because if you don't have a base to improvise off of, then you're just onsiding. You may as well just onside it. Right. Right. So I think the first thing that I like to focus on with a lot of my athletes is, is really trying to understand what the, what the root setter was trying to get you to do first. And then when you understand that, you can then analyze and be like, okay, well, why does that work for me? Or why doesn't that work for me? And then from there, you start to get that improvisation and you start to get that self-expression when they're like, oh, this is how I move. This is how I climb. You know, and I explain a lot about when they watch a forerunning video that I've done and how I climb, what my style is like. And then they need to think and be like, well, do I climb like this 30-year-old six-foot 
boulderer? <laughs> like, right. probably not, right? So you can, <laughs> you can then make that, make that informed decision about, about how you're going to approach it. Because I think it's interesting when we talk about expression, a lot of it is like, well, it's just how I climb. And it doesn't come from, a lot of times I think it doesn't come from an understanding of why that's how you climb. And I think that's kind of that first thing that I really, I really want my athletes to grasp and think about. It's like, okay, this is how the, the root setters shown you how to climb it. From there, that's when you improvise. From right. there, that's where you start to come up with a novel solution to what's in front of you based on how you feel. And that's when the improvisation, that's when that self-expression I really think comes through. Yeah, yeah. that's really fantastic. You, you began as an outdoor climber, essentially. Yeah. Do you still consider that the best way for you to express yourself? Uh, that's a tricky, dangerous. I feel like I'm going to say something dangerous here. Um, <laughs> look, I, I'll and be we're just <laughs> talking about you, not yeah, yeah, necessarily no, that's okay. all the athletes. Yeah, no, I, yeah. look, I think um, I... Uh, the last few years, I've become more and more indoor climber. Yep, same here. Um, oh, whew, phew. Um, yeah. You know, I've I've spent so much time indoors that I have become. Um, I'm not sure what the right word is. Maybe soft. I go outdoors and I'm like, <laughs> ah, don't. It hurts my fingers. Uh, it's, I don't know who set this, but it's terrible. That's what um, that's what HB would call it. Yeah. He would call it soft. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. It's like, you want me to jam what? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, but I, um, I think that um, for me, like just in terms of where I sit with my climbing, there's two, two big things that I really, really love that I um, try and find expression in, or I find expression in the first one is, um, dealing with fear mm. for me. That's a really big way for me personally to deal with my expression of how I climb, because I like the idea of overcoming something that I'm afraid of yeah. and that I find challenging mentally because I get a lot of that from my movement, right? My movement changes when I'm in the zone. My movement changes when I've overcome that emotion. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and then the second one is my root setting. You know, I obviously find a lot of expression in trying to find the simplest form of an idea that I've had and put it on the wall because that's, I think, what we're optimally looking for is as a root setter is like, no, I'm, I don't want to give you every option. I'm trying to give you the simplest form of my idea so that you can, you know, kind of evolve from that idea and take that idea and run with it or, or see the idea and replicate it or any of those things. And I think that that's the other, kind of the other flip of the coin that I, that I really um, get a lot of inspiration from myself. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to do when I'm, when I'm podcasting, when I'm setting up an interview with someone is not give them very much information about <laughs> what the conversation's going to be. You know, this conversation was pretty much set up by the gym and you and I didn't, didn't talk at all until just a couple of days ago. Yeah. And we didn't meet each other until today. And I really had no idea what I was coming in for. I read a few interviews and wanted to get an idea of who you were. And then I just wanted to explore further. Um, and, you know, my, my philosophies and my ideas around climbing 
are, are not the end all. They're not the answer to any questions. Sure. Um, but I value them massively. And from my perspective, it sounds like Australia's got the right guy. Um, I think, oh, I think don't these even. philosophies and these <laughs> ideas are exactly what, what youth climbing needs hmm. and, and what, you know, not only just for the sake of, of growing these um, programs, but growing humans. Yeah. You know, ultimately that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, this program is just there to support the growth of these people as human beings. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. so I appreciate you, you know, lending us your philosophies and, and I think it's great. I think a lot of coaches will be able to take a lot away from this. Um, I'm massively happy that you're here doing what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, how about we take a quick little break? Everybody can refill their beers. And then if anybody has questions for Will, I can pass the mic around and we can all kind of pepper him with what, whatever we have. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> all right. Quick break. What's up, everybody? Chris here. Pardon the interruption. I'll keep this short and sweet. Since this podcast started taking off and we've been growing it, you guys have been asking how you can help out. I've got three ways for you. Number one, you can become a patron. That just means you give a monthly donation to the podcast, a dollar and up, and you get something in return. And you can check out what those rewards are at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast. Best of all, we'll keep it sponsor and commercial free for you. Number two, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. I know it's a pain in the ass to go to iTunes and do all that, but it really helps us out. At least that's what I'm told by the podcast powers that be. And number three, perhaps the easiest way and the best way to help us out is to share us on your social medias. Anytime you see us post up a new podcast, please share it with your friends. Tag people who will really appreciate it or who need to hear the advice that we're giving. All right. Thank you, guys. And back to the show. Okay, we have returned. Um, hopefully some of you guys have formulated questions. I'm going to carry the mic around to you, hand it to you, and you can ask Will your question directly. So who's first here? Anybody? Annalisa? <laughs> Just taking a mouthful. You can't That's ask a question time. when you're chewing. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> this is live podcasting. <laughs> Well, you talked about loving to express yourself through your fear. And I know, or I would assume being a competition climber can be really intimidating and difficult emotionally. So I'm curious how you help your athletes work through their fears um, and their emotions um, as they're growing as an athlete and also when they're competing. Yeah, it's uh, a really good question. Um, the first thing I think about is basically the fact that everyone's different, right? So a lot of times what has worked really well for me or really well for someone else doesn't necessarily always work really well for you. And so one of the first things that I try to do is to get them to have a little bit of um, self-exploration about what it is that they connect with on a, it could be a spiritual level or an emotional level that they find comfort in, um, that helps them relax and focus and think about 
you know, why they love their sport or um, how they feel about themselves and, and these sort of things. And, and it's, it's trying to come up with their own personalized strategies on how to deal with those emotions. Uh, so it takes a really long time. I, and I think that that's the other thing that I'm a big fan of is with important things like that, like dealing with fear and dealing with emotion is to take your time. A lot of people want a quick fix. They want to be like, all right, these are the skills I need to be good at competition climbing and to not be afraid anymore and perform really well every time. And unfortunately with big things like that, it's a slow, slow process. Yeah, lots of self-exploration. Does that answer your question? Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> and, and just to follow up on that a little bit, um, one of the videos that Nate and I use in some of our presentations is a really great video of Adam Ondra um, flashing a V15 in Fontainebleau. And there's a, a video segment of him talking about it first. And when he talks about it, he says, I didn't believe that I could do it. I didn't believe that it was flashable. I didn't, because it's in font, you know, because it's V15, mm. I just didn't believe it. And then he walks up to the problem and he says, you know, it, it, it's obvious that it's my style and the weather's quite good, you know. And, and then he says, I have a 5% chance. I give myself a 5% chance of doing this problem. And then he pulls on and climbs like he feels like he's got a hundred percent chance. Mm. And I think it's massive to be able to latch on to a few little things like it's my style and the weather's really nice. You know, I, I've worked with kids who, if it's a pink route, they're like, oh, I really like that color. I feel like I've got a better chance at this, you know? So anything you can pull on to to alleviate some of those yeah. fears is massive. Even yeah. if, even if someone else may not believe that it's relevant. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because like, you know, like you said, a, a child may come along and be like, Oh, it's a pink route. I like pink and I'm, so I'm going to be better at that climb. And, yeah, totally. and like then being like, okay, well, what is it about pink that you like? Like, mm. why does that pink climb call out to you? Yeah. And then trying to pick out those things that help them mm. understand what's behind that. Yeah. Because those are then the real tools that they can start to right. develop and take, I think. Right. Yeah. You know, be, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry to jump in. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not jumping in. You're the, you're the one answering here. So perfect. Okay. Uh, anybody else have any questions for Will? All right. Tell me your name while you're at it. Uh, I'm Janice. Um, ooh, yes. uh, so I sort of have two questions. Um, my first one's mainly around like grants and funding and sort of getting yourself marketed out there. Yep. Um, like obviously there'd be opportunities to access those sort of sporting grants in and around Australia. Um, have you thought that maybe like as a marketing strategy to get maybe some volunteers, like do you have volunteers that come in and sort of help that have those sort of skills? Like there's a lot of nonprofits out there that sort of use that aspect of getting people in to help in that way. Yep. And then the second question is, being Australia, being as big and as expensive as we are and how long it takes to get to areas. Like, I'm from out in the country mm -hmm. um, and there's not many opportunities for kids out in the country. We yep. are limited things like track and field and we have to travel if we want to do something like gymnastics or, or climbing. Um, do you see that climbing could be one of those sports that could get more, like further into the country to sort of give that opportunity to other kids to sort of join in and build on yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I'll try and answer your first question first and then your second question second. Okay. 
Uh, I feel like that makes sense. Um, so I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be totally honest. In terms of funding, it's really something that I've tried to step away from just because I, I don't see it necessarily as my role in the coaching position to try and deal with that too much. Um, it is a constant battle, um, but uh, more it, when I say a constant battle, it's a constant battle because the response most of the time to what I want is that we don't have the money, right? So I, I know how important it is. And the other thing, when, when we think about lack of resources, because it's not just money, we talk about lack of resources, it's so many things that that are limited, right? So it's also my time and also the other coach's time. So it's trying to come up with a strategy on how to utilize the resources I have to the best of my ability. So that's kind of the first thing. And in terms of grants, we actually have some people that, are, that work with SCA or are on SCA that do a lot of good work with grants. And we have access a lot of, a lot of great grants so far, um, but grant writing is a huge process. Um, and so I think, and, I mean, I'm not going to speak for our directors, but I'm sure that anyone who's willing to get in there and get involved would be very, very welcome. Um, does that kind of answer that first question for you? Is there is there a place where people who are interested in getting involved can, yeah. can go to? Basically just contact, send the email to SCA. So it's, I think it's contact at sportclimbingaustralia.org.au. Uh, jump on there, send them an email, let them know that you're interested in, in being involved. There's a lot of subcommittees that are involved with SCA. So it's not just the directors themselves. We have subcommittees that work on a lot of different projects. So um, there's always room for people that are interested to get involved. Um, so I definitely encourage you if you're interested to, to lend a hand if you can. Um, and yeah, so like I said, I think money used to be a big part of the conversation I was having and I'm trying to step away from it as much as possible so that I can devote my resources to other things. Um, and then in terms of the question about the country, absolutely. One of my, one of the big things that I really want to try and figure out how to get involved with is getting more people involved in climbing, which includes kids that are disadvantaged, kids in the country, um, you know, people that just don't feel like they have somewhere to belong. The amount of times I've, I've been involved with a climbing group and it's like, you'll have two or three people that'll be like, oh, I tried team sport and it, I just, I, I sucked at soccer, you know? So, and it's like, I love this though. I'm like, yes, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm so excited about that. So I definitely think so. And I think that as we see more gyms pop up, it'll happen more and more. Businesses will start to spread, but it's also about, and, and like the other thing that's happening that's interesting is like a lot of people are starting to put small climbing walls in schools. And I think that that is a really exciting avenue that's going to start to explode. Um, but again, in terms of that, Sport Climbing Victoria, so our state group, um, definitely would require some assistance in how to come up with a strategy to support schools, support climbing growth. So that's another space that you can get involved with if you have some experience in that um, because, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a, an, an exciting area of growth. Uh, sportclimbingvictoria.com, is that .com? .com.au, yeah. Um, so they're the state 
um, organized state, sort of the state federation that deal with um, all of those sort of things. And, and I think that, yeah, just in terms of like seeing more involvement with schools, I think that'll be really exciting. Yeah. Does that answer both your questions? How did I go? Yeah, good. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Will's got all the answers. Who's got another question? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Katie. I will. Um, I know you've been involved in some growing adaptive and paraclimbing events and, and, and groups and things like that. Um, what have you taken from that and where do you see that going in Australia? Yeah, I think, I mean, it definitely bounces off part of the response to the last question, just in, in creating a space that everybody feels excited to be a part of and everybody feels welcome to be here because... Actually, I'll come full. I was going to come come full circle. I have a story about this. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Tunde, um, and he. One of the things that he told me was, as a root setter, you have a responsibility to um, help create an experience that could potentially change someone's life, right? And I know that for me, like I went through university, I have a master's degree, and then I became a rock climbing instructor. Climbing changed my life. It totally changed the way I see the world, how I interact with people, the amazing community I get to be a part of. And so it's like, it's one of those spaces you're like, I want everybody to experience this. I want everybody to be a part of this, this and have the opportunity for this amazing sport to change their life. And I think that that's one of those things that's so exciting about watching people who may not have believed in themselves or their abilities get involved in something that really shows them that they have so much they can they can do and they can achieve and they can express. I I have the um, the pleasure of dealing with one of the fathers that I think is involved in your group, um, who's been involved in climbing for years, years has always supported his son and has recently started to become involved in in the um, adaptive climbing and it's it's totally changed him. Like his, he, like just how he interacts with the people around him, the things he's involved with, his presence, like, and it's just it's like it's so exciting watching people have that experience and and get the opportunity to have climbing affect them in such a positive way. I think, you know, I like, yeah, I think it's it's so exciting and it's a space of growth. And I, yeah, I think that it kind of really stems from climbing being this space of everybody being so supportive of each other we everybody wants to see people climb like, we love it we just lose our minds over watching people climb so i think that it's yeah it's definitely growing and it's exciting yeah awesome i think you had a question am i right okay tell me who you are first hi so i'm tara um thanks for coming and talking today will um i just wanted to know in terms of climbing being accepted into the Olympics and obviously accepted as a sport in Australia, have you seen a difference in support in general towards climbing and the attitude towards climbing now? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I need to be careful about what I say, I think. <laughs> but um, yes and no. Um, climbing is recognized as a sport. It is in the Olympics. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to stay in the Olympics. We also are in a position at the moment where we don't have a history of potential medal performances. 
which kind of puts us in a category where we're not receiving a whole lot of support, particularly financially. So I think that we've, we've had some doors open. Um, and yeah, some doors, probably the doors that we really need open are still kind of firmly shut. Um, because I think like every other sport, the focus is on gold medals, really, and podium placings. And until we can show um, the potential for that, it's very difficult to get the kind of support that we really need. Um, that being said, some of the doors that are, have been open to us, um, now that we're a recognized sport, have the potential to support us in a way that may not have been possible maybe five years ago but still require a whole lot of work from us, right? So there's the potential for some national facility kind of ideas happening. Not a lot of regular funding, unfortunately, because like I said, we don't have those potential podium placings. Um, so there's still like, a, there's still a lot of work for us to do um, just as a federation. Um, so yeah, kind of yes and no. It's not, it hasn't been this miracle cure that we all kind of hoped it would be, unfortunately. Um, and I th it looks like it's going to be included in Paris, so 2024, um, which is really exciting for us. So we may see some changes there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of first inclusion, may not carry on. So it's been like, yes, and then not a whole lot, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else questions for Will? We got some more. All right. Hi, I'm Lulu. Um, I just wanted to ask, as a coach, a national coach especially, how do you recover from supporting the team? <laughs> That's a really uh, fantastic okay, question. Uh, thanks for asking that, Lulu. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, uh, yeah. Look, I, uh, I'll be totally honest. I don't have a really great answer for that question. I struggle to... Um, give myself downtime. I feel like this is one of those, you know, hi, my name's Will and I'm addicted yeah, to climbing. Well, yeah. I, I identify with <laughs> yeah, you on this yeah. one. Um, I, look, I, I, had a, I had a huge year last year that finished in the Youth Olympics um, that definitely very nearly ended me. Um, and I, I really think that I'm totally, madly, deeply in love with this sport, which is what helps me kind of get to a point where I'm like, I'm never doing this again, and then wake up the next day and be like, I can't wait for the next event. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, look, I, I don't have a great answer for that question. I think I'm lucky that I have some amazing people around me um, and that I have some, um, you know, very supportive friends and family and also that i yeah i'm just wildly in love with my sport so. if you happen to come across the answer to this question yeah, okay i'll let you know please, <laughs> yeah. please send it to me it wasn't but a month ago that i was lying in the floor of our camper in waco tanks having a complete and total meltdown saying i'm shutting this whole damn thing down i'm done with it i'm over it you know so yeah, Let me know look, when you find that. Yeah, and I, you know, part of me wonders, and I, I, this is probably not a mentality I should have, but part of me wonders whether that's like the people that are really going to change the sport. This is what I tell myself anyway, right? That I'm, the people that you. are re really going to change the sport are the ones that really suffer for it. Yeah. 
Um, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, we will. <laughs> we'll see because neither of us are going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I have yeah, that no. feeling. That's it, yeah. So we had a couple more. Nick, you had a question? Now, speaking of all the free time you have, one of the things that you've been running is the Victorian Climbing Academy. If I got the yep. name wrong, correct me. Yep. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that is, considering you run it and you set the roots for it? Yeah. Um, what it is, what it's targeted at, and how other facilities can implement something similar, or how facility, and also how root setters can help in that arena? Yeah. Okay. That's a really great question. Um, so it's the it's the Tri Climbing Academy, selfishly named um, after my little company that I run. Um, the The concept behind it is that, and I. I love my facilities that I work with. I want to say that first, but it's very difficult. And we talked about this to convince a facility to set five thirties that maybe one person in the state can climb, right? It's a huge waste of resources for them. Realistically, uh, there's no point in spending the hours it's going to take to root set, to set those, to test them, to tweak them, to use the holds, the wall space. I mean, it's like, yeah, you probably we probably have two athletes that could climb that that would make real use of that route. Um, so it's the idea of the academy is to try and get to a situation where we actually are trying to take the pressure off the facilities um, to provide us with those resources and come up with a strategy on how to make sure we have access to those resources ourselves, right? Um, so I'm trying to come up with a way that. I can gather all of the people that are excited about, you know, high performance in competitions, basically, uh, some high performance outdoors as well, um, and give them the, the scenario where they're going to learn the skills that they need to learn in order to climb that sort of difficulty, right? Because the game, I think, and... You know, the game is, is similar no matter what grade you're climbing. You can utilize those skills. But as you approach your physical maximum, um, you really have to have honed a set of skills that allow you to be comfortable there because you're already under pressure. You're already freaking out. You've flown across the world to be there for that less than six minutes of time that you have one shot on this one climb you know, that you've hopefully warmed up for appropriately, that you hopefully have read correctly, you maybe have the forerunning, you know, the, the list goes on, right? So the, the set of skills that you require in that scenario really take time to create. And so we're trying to come up with a strategy on how we can provide that to our athletes in a way that doesn't impact our facilities too much. So that's kind of the general idea of it. Um, you know, it's had some, I think, a little bit of success this term so far, and hopefully it can grow next term. Um, but yeah, that's really key. You know, it's having access to those resources because, yeah, it doesn't make sense to to spend $2,000 setting a, a, a 32 that is going to only useful probably for one session. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are there ways? <laughs> are there ways that other local people who want to get involved with that can? Is there a way to reach out to you and get involved? Uh, send me an email. Uh, okay. I'm very happy to to start a, a conversation for sure. Okay. And um, there will be links in in your show notes. Yeah. On your pocket yeah, supercomputers that have 
you know, yeah, that'd be to you. So yeah, that'd be great. Uh, like absolutely. If you think that, you know, there's a way that you're keen to support us and, and make that easier for our athletes. Abs please. Absolutely. <laughs> Flick me an email. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Uh, anybody else? Other questions? I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but I'm super curious about the Waco Tanks incident you just mentioned. <laughs> of just laying in the floor, completely freaking out. Oh yeah, totally. I, you know, it's it's not dissimilar to what Will's talking about, and this is a big, growing, organic thing. It's like this octopus that's growing out of control, you know. And it's, uh, and I'm talking about power company in general as a result of how climbing is growing and and it's so hard for me having started this thing as this is supposed to be a side job you know a 15 hour a week job and here i am in australia working 40 hours a week on a climbing trip it was the same in waco tanks i'm i'm busting my ass trying to make it all work and trying to support other people who now have a full-time job working for power company climbing and things were just spinning a little bit out of control and and i'm trying to climb my hardest i've ever climbed i'm trying to run this business that's growing rapidly in this space that's growing rapidly and it was just all too much and i just laid in the middle of the desert and freaked out for a few minutes and then i got up the next morning and it was like okay back to business i got work to do you know so, and I, and I think that's part of that imposter syndrome. You know, I'm laying there on the floor like, am I supposed to be here? Is this right? Am I doing the right things? Yeah. Am I fucking all of this up royally? I'm closing it down. Everybody's out of a job, yeah. you know? Yeah, so. for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it was the same thing for me. I, I finished the Youth Olympics with shingles. Um, right, yeah. right. Uh, came home, I weighed probably five kilos less than when I left. It's time um, to send. Oh, man. You know, I, I actually, I could do it. I did a one-arm chin-up when I got back, though. So, yeah, it's winning, right? Little, the little wins, right? Um, and, yeah, you like, you just kind of collapse and you're like, my God, what am I doing? But then yeah. it's like that's the energy that you're putting into your work, right? Right. And if you weren't putting that kind mm -hmm. of energy into your work, you should probably change jobs. For sure. <laughs> I agree completely. All right, I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Do you have another question, Leo? Okay. Yeah, I do, I do. Well, <laughs> that was a fake question. That was just my own curiosity. Um, so this one is actually for Will, though. So um, as a coach, uh, how have you noticed uh, failure uh, works with climbers and how does that fit in with uh, the climbing process? Yeah, uh, another really great question. If you're not flying, you're not trying, right? Like that was the the old mantra, I think. Um, failure is another really difficult one that is is hard to deal with. And like a lot of my experience with um, with it comes from youth athletes, and I think it's interesting because I and I'm not. It's definitely it's you know it's a a sweeping generalization. Are always dangerous. But I feel like young people feel it probably more than we do because they don't have the experience, the life experience to realize that they'll probably still wake up tomorrow. So when you have a young person that's, that's at World Youth Championships and they have a foot slip before the first draw um, and 
don't make the first draw and kind of come down and it's their first qualifier and they're youth a and it's like they're oh my god i'm in china and i just made a fool of myself for my country it's a pretty big thing to kind of uh contemplate and deal with and i think that it's like it's just the nature of the beast right and if you think about failure as a beast really sometimes you're going to win and sometimes you're you're not you're going to just crumble in a heap and be like why am I doing this? Oh my God, I suck at climbing. I'm never going to climb again. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the issue we have with it being a passion. And it's, a, it's just, I guess, trying to come up with ways that you can self-reflect and be like, what did I learn from that experience? Because the, the overarching idea that we all want to have constantly is I want to be a better climber, not I want to roll up today and today is my send day for the rest of my life ever, right? That would suck. That would be real bad. You want to roll up that day and be like, I'm going to learn something about my climbing that's going to make me a better climber tomorrow. And then again, the next day and again, the day after, right? And so if you can change your thinking to be more around learning and less around sending, then the sends will come. The failures will be part of the journey and you'll have no issues, right? <laughs> No issues. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's like, but that's the, that's the growth mindset. That's that idea of like, which is why, you know, one of the things I try to tell my athletes is like, I hope, and this sounds terrible, but I hope that this event isn't the best event you ever have. I want this to be a stepping stone to the next great event, which is then another stepping stone to the next great event, right? Which is a stepping stone to an illustrious career. And it might be an illustrious career in anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be in climbing because the things that you learn from this experience are going to be so profound, hopefully, that they affect everything you do in your life. But, you know, that's kind of that part of failure. It's like failure and, and success is nothing if you're not learning. Yeah. That was a really great question, Leo. Good I'm job. Su I'm surprised by that. <laughs> 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 All right. Anybody else have any questions before we wrap this up here and let Will off the hook? Do you have a question, Joanne? No? Okay. Just just wanted to make sure here. So normally I, I wrap these things up after the fact. You know, we kind of awkwardly end the conversation and then I go back and I, I stand in my office and I... I talk about what I learned from the person but because we've had these questions I've had a little bit of time to reflect and and I think that you know earlier you talked about uh, well, pretty much through the entire conversation you've talked about um, using pressure using stress using failure as as these stepping stones and learning and and it's really pretty amazing to see somebody in your position um, who could, you could very well take this position and, and please don't, I'm going to say it out loud, but please don't do this. You could take this as extreme pressure. Like my country is, you know, needs me to perform. And if I don't step up, then it's, it's a problem. You know, my whole team is, is a reflection of what I'm doing and, and I'm a reflection of them. And, and that's massive pressure. So I think you're approaching it from the, the best possible way. And, and even if that's detrimental to you in some occasions, I think you're right. I think 
we have that passion for what we're doing and and we just have to embrace that as part of the process and hopefully get better at it along the way you know not yeah. that we're going to stay stagnant and we're always going to end up with shingles after every big major competition hopefully you can progress past that but it's yeah. a stepping stone that wasn't your best event you know there are going to be better comps coming in the future bigger comps a bigger illustrious career um and so again i appreciate massively you sitting down talking with me sharing all this talking with everybody and i appreciate everybody coming and and talking with will are there ways that people can get a hold of you or can support you in the things that you're doing can help support the australian national team yeah um i mean there's a few of us around that have a gofundme page so um you can jump on my instagram i've got it here will hammerslay it's in my bio so there's the gofundme link there um to help me get around to the events that i need to this year um that's definitely a huge way you can support me but also um you know reach out contact me with my email i'm usually really terrible at business and I'll probably give you some free advice. So uh, you're welcome to do that. <laughs> um, and look, I mean, it, it comes from me loving my loving climbing so much. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to, to chat to everybody about climbing, any questions you have about climbing. And if you want to get involved, there's definitely people I can hook you up with to um, get in touch with um, and chat to. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much as well, uh, yeah. Chris. And thank you everyone for being here and supporting me by listening to my rant i guess and i, I do want to say that hammerslay is maybe the best last name for a coach <laughs> i've ever heard maybe you should have been an mma fighter but but we'll there's we'll time go. there's time right there's time yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with coach and and there are there're going to be links right there in the show notes of your pocket supercomputers so that you can get straight to to Will's GoFundMe and help out the Australian national team and there'll be a link straight to Will's email so you can get free advice um, <laughs> since he's <laughs> since he's offering it yeah yeah and uh, you guys all know where to find us we're at powercompanyclimbing.com you can find us on the Facebooks you can find us on the Instagrams at powercompanyclimbing and you can look for us on the Twitter. We're in Australia, so you're not going to find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. Thank you guys.
Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure.